Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. So before I chat a little bit about this week's episode, I just want to take a moment to highlight that this is the 100th birth story that I'm sharing and it's a huge honour every week to sit down and chat with women about their birth experiences. Sometimes I'm the first person that they have done that with, that they have shared all of these intimate details with. So I'm so grateful that they do and that I've been able to keep this podcast going for nearly two years now. The reason being is because people are are tuning in, people want to share their birth stories. So without the birth stories, there wouldn't be a podcast. But also a huge thank you to my patrons who keep the podcast going from a financial perspective. So they help get the episodes out each week. And yeah, just I'm I'm really honoured to have the opportunity to chat to to all of these amazing women that want to share their birth stories for the benefit of of others. So to chat a little bit about this week's episode, so many of you have contacted me over the past couple of months to ask me to chat with Lorraine. They say you've told me that her story is amazing and it it surely is. Her story is also incredibly upsetting. To be precise, the first 21 minutes of this episode are really, really hard to listen to. Lorraine lost her little boy, Dylan just after she gave birth to him. So I I won't share any more of those details. I'll let you, if you feel you're in a place to, I'll let you listen to her, this that part of her story in the episode. Lorraine then moves on to chat about her second pregnancy. And she shares the moment that the sonographer was moving the, the wand around her tummy. And Lorraine made a really funny comment and it was that, don't move the wand again, because each time she did, there was another baby. So she talks me all through that pregnancy, which thankfully was uncomplicated. She didn't spend one night in hospital throughout her entire pregnancy. And she, I asked her a question that I know a lot of you were, will think. And it was, did she think that there was a connection between Dylan and her spontaneous 
quad pregnancy. And I'll let you hear Lorraine's answer. So as I've said, from the 21 minute mark is when we talk about Lorraine's most recent pregnancy. So if you're not in a place to listen to a story surrounding loss, just fast forward there too. I'm also going to link any um, charities or organisations that can support those through loss in the show notes. I think it's important that even if you don't need to avail of their services, that you can direct a friend or family member who might not be thinking clearly and think that they don't need support, but you might be able to point them in the right direction or give them a nudge in the right direction, knowing that there is support out there. Thank you so much, Lorraine, for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And I know many others will too. And I will chat to you all next week. Keep an eye on the Instagram page with there's loads of different gifts and giveaways going on at the moment with the support of the amazing people, women on Instagram who support the podcast for a long time. So keep your eyes over there. I'll be announcing the winners over the next couple of weeks. Thanks a million. Have a good week and I will chat to you soon. So Lorraine, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story. As I said to you before, so many people have asked me to interview you. So uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting to you about all of your experiences. Do you want to just give us a little introduction to you and your family and then we'll talk about your first pregnancy? Yeah, absolutely. So um, and thanks so much for having me on. Um, I love your podcast, so it's really exciting to be able to share my story as well. Yeah, so um, I am a mom of 15-month-old quadruplets, so two boys and two girls, um, two identical boys and two non-identical girls, and I guess that's what's particularly unusual about my story. Yeah, people are just dying to hear hear about life, I suppose, as a mum with, with four tiny babies, still tiny, still call my three-and-a-half-year-old baby, so life, yeah, how you adjust that. So will we just talk about your first pregnancy? Yeah, so the quads were my second pregnancy. Um, and but before I had them, I had my little boy, Dylan. So I found out I was pregnant in 2019 and we'd been trying for about a year. Um, we had kind of, you know, done that whole like, oh, let's just stop trying not to get pregnant. And I'm sure we'll just get pregnant. No problem. Um, but no, it took about a year. And at one point, you know, we got a bit worried and we'd done some tests and everything kind of looked fine. And I remember them saying to us, like, come back in June if you're not pregnant. And I found out I was pregnant with Dylan in May. Okay. So we were really excited. Um, first pregnancy. And, you know, I was really quite lucky. I wasn't sick at the start or anything like that. And I think it was, it was a very run-of-the-mill pregnancy. I've not been pregnant before. You know, there was nothing to worrying. There was, you know, everything was pretty straightforward. Um, we were super excited. We bought our house and kind of everything had been focused around, you know, Dylan and getting him into the house. And, you know, like every every decision we made, we'd kind of run it by like, well, how did this work with the baby and things like that? So, um, yeah, so he was due January 5th, 2020. And that day came and went and he had no intentions of showing up Um so I went, I think it was, a, they decided to bring me in to be induced when I was 11 days over my due date. And I remember going into the hospital and just being like, oh, like, you know, we're walking into the hospital now. We're going to be walking out of here with our baby, kind of everything's fine. I've kind of done my job up to this point. It's just, you know, the small matter of labor to get through. But otherwise, you know, like this is this is kind of it. You know, we've kind of gotten to this point and we could relax. And yes, yeah, and, and being induced is not fun um as I was to discover um so it took a while and 
you know, I, I felt like Rachel and friends were like people were coming in, being brought out and having their babies over and over. And I just felt like I was like, you know, the last pregnant person on earth who's still waiting to have her baby. But eventually um, it was my turn to be called up and to, to bring me in to like break my waters and kind of get things going. And this was 14 days over my due date. So it's like exactly 14, two weeks over when he was due. And again, you know, I don't know what a run of the mill labor is, having not been through it before, but again, everything was very calm. And the kind of overwhelming feeling I had was just excitement. You know, I was just kind of so ready and just so excited to kind of get things going and to finally get to meet them and kind of have them and things like that. And I remember when they broke my water, there was like a small streak of meconium, but, you know, not unusual for being two weeks over the due date and mm. you know it wasn't a lot it was nothing to be concerned about at the time and I think they just marked it in notes and kind of everything continued on after that and yeah like things kind of you know I, I got my epidural and everything kind of calmed down and then it was kind of time to get going and start pushing and I remember before we we got into that at one point his heart rate had dipped a little bit and so they'd done this scrape where they like checked the pH level of his blood and you know, they'd done that twice. And every time the test came back saying perfectly fine, everything was normal, just continue going as, as expected. And that's how it was. And then before we knew it, you know, we were pushing and he was born and everything just went really, really quiet. You know, there was no worries and concerns up to that point. And he was there and they put him on my chest, but I kind of got the sense that something just wasn't, wasn't right. He was, wasn't making any noise. And I think You know, you always have this expectation of hearing them cry. And I remember the midwife who was next to me kind of said, you know, the room is going to fill up with people. So just don't, don't panic. <laughs> and, you know, it did. The room filled up with people and they took him, took him away. And at this point, I still wasn't fully sure that this wasn't what's supposed to happen. You know, like they always take a baby away and clean him at some point. And I was like, is this, is this what's going on but you can kind of see um, on the faces of the doctors and so there was two doctors in the room at that point and and the midwives that something wasn't you know their faces didn't looked worried and I couldn't I didn't know what they were saying the people who were working on him but I just remember really clearly at one point they said something and the two doctors obviously heard and understood what it was. And their faces just, just kind of dropped. So eventually, I guess the consultant who was on call, the baby doctor came in. I remember she was in a hoodie. And I remember, I don't know why, that was just really something that stuck in my mind. You, know, you don't usually see doctors coming in with hoodies. And a lot of people were talking to her very, very quickly. And again, I couldn't pick up anything anyone, anybody was saying. And they told us that, you know, he had meconium in his lungs, which, you know, again, is something that's not unusual for babies who go over their due date. But they said they needed to bring him to the NICU. And they asked, did he have a name as he was leaving? And we said, yeah, his name is Dylan. And they took him away. So the next few hours, I guess, were a bit of a bit of a blur. We just kept on asking everybody, is he going to be okay? And I remember the doctors were kind of like, well, he has to be. I mean, 
you know, the pH levels where they checked the oxygen in his blood was fine. They checked the oxygen in his cord after he was born. And again, the oxygen was fine. They were like, like, he must be, he must be fine. And then I remember eventually the consultant came back to us and at this stage she was, you know, dressed in her normal doctor attire. And she just told us that he was very sick. I just remember thinking, when did he get sick? (laughs) Sickness is something that happens. I was like, he's barely been here. Like when, when, when did he get sick? So she told us that um, his lungs essentially were completely filled up with meconium. So much so that he, he wasn't, his lungs weren't able to expand to get oxygen into them. And they were doing everything they could to get oxygen into him because, you know, he wasn't getting oxygen, obviously, from the cord or anything anymore because he was born. So they told us they had to do tests and see where they were. And babies are very resilient. We don't want to kind of make any assumptions as of yet as to how he's going to be or what's going to happen. So they took us to a room and we were there for a while. And then we went up to see him and, you know, he was just this tiny little guy and he was in the NICU and the NICU is full of premature babies. So he looked huge compared to everybody else. But he had all these tubes and these wires you know, we just we're just talking to him and we just, you know, didn't know what, what to do. And we went back to the room for a while and then they called us up again. And they called us up because they were doing CPR on him. So we went in and we saw them, you know, doing CPR on this tiny little baby. I think at that point we started to realize, I guess, like just how serious things were. And we went back to the room and I remember saying to my husband, I was like, I think one of three things are going to happen. I said, either he's going to pull through this and he's going to be perfectly fine. And this is just going to be this awful thing that happened. But, you know, it'll be something we'll look back on and everything's going to be okay. Or he'll pull through this. And he'll be sick for the rest of his life and we'll still have him and he'll be there and it'll be the three of us. And, you know, it's just something that we'll have to deal with. Or he's just not going to pull through this and we're not going to be able to keep him. And I think once I'd kind of said that out loud, I kind of I felt not as confused anymore as like, you know, those were three options, but really, I don't, I wasn't hopeful at that point. So then we just went up and just sat with him. And the doctor kind of came over to us and I kind of asked her, is he gone? And she said, no, but but he's close. You know, the doctors at that point had got all the test results back and they knew, you know, what the outcome was going to be. So they took all his tubes out and they let us hold him and, you know, we could see his little chest moving up and down and we just held him we just told him how much we loved him. I just remember telling him how sorry I was over and over. And eventually he was in her arms and the doctor came over and she checked him and she told us that he'd passed away. And he was gone.
Sorry. <laughs> and everything, like oh. even how you felt physically and all of that was just just didn't. No, like I'm like I've no recollection of how I felt physically. None yeah, of it yeah. Registered um, at all. Uh, yeah, nothing. It was, you know. Yeah, you know, like I'd never been through something like that, thankfully, or anything even close. So, that the next few days, weeks, months were just, they're just awful. It was just like the grief was just never experienced anything like it. And, you know, it was just all encompassing and just, just so painful. Like physically, it felt painful. Mm. And, you know, a lot of things you've heard people say about grief about like you know feeling like an actual hole inside your body I remember like I could look and find this big gaping hole and yeah it was just a really really awful time you know and I suppose for for mothers and parents who will listen to this who have suffered such like profound loss uh, uh, similar to what you have what did you find not helped because nothing can help but what how did you get a little bit more more comfort in your day was it taking time to chat to Dylan to what was it that that helped you basically go get through your day yeah so I guess um one thing was like there's a, an amazing charity who you know hopefully most people never have to know him exist who you know got me in touch with you know other parents who've gone through similar things and being able to talk to those people and connect to those people and hear those stories like you know it's just a simple Facebook group where people who've gone through similar things and um, who know knows how horrible it is and how what it feels like I felt like they those are the only people like nobody else can can imagine it and who haven't hasn't gone through it so being able to speak to those people was a big help and kind of knowing you know it feels like it's never going to end you know Mm. when you're in it and and while it's always going to be painful you know days get you know hours get a little easier then you'll have a day that gets a bit easier and then you'll have a week that gets a bit easier eventually so just kind of knowing like in a hearing from other people and just kind of accepting that it is going to be as hard as it's going to be for a while. And what I found really helpful was writing emails to Dylan. So mm-hmm. I wrote an email and I just replied to that email and I still do it now. And um, it would be just a good way for me to, I'd write that email and then I would just cry <laughs> continuously for ages afterwards. And then I'd be able to breathe for a little while. So, you know, it would all build up and it would all build up and it would all build up. And then I'd be able to just kind of get all the emotions out at once and just, you know, have a huge big cry, be able to breathe, reset, and then kind of just get on with things. Um, but yeah, so those, I think, were the two things, writing emails to him, being able to talk to him directly and, you know, share a lot of the feelings that I was feeling. And, you know, there's a huge sense of like guilt and no matter how many times people tell you, you know, there's nothing you could have done differently. As a mom, you know, you're always going to have, you know, you're always going to feel that guilt. You're always going to feel like 
know, he had one job was to get bring him to the world safely. And the minute he was born, he was in trouble. And just being able to talk and put those things down and be able to say them and kind of, you know, I'm never not going to feel them, but be able to not feel as overwhelmed by those things, getting them out and saying them to him, like, is something that helped me and still helps me. And what was that um, charity that you? Phalacon. Sorry, okay. the charity is Phalacon. Um, and they're amazing. You know, they think like, you know, you, you don't know what to think or what to do or what mm-hmm. to organize in that situation. And they've been through it, you know, and some, they provide you with like a candle with his name and his date of birth on it. You know, they provide you with things where you could do get his footprint and his handprint and things like that, like things that you don't realize you're going to need in this short amount of time that he's there for. So um, they were amazing. And I'd say those groups are for you great to have because there's probably so many thoughts running through your head that just you probably can't voice to anyone who hasn't been through what you have been through. Um, so it's nice to be able yeah. to yeah, speak exactly how you feel because they will surely understand. Yeah, and one thing I found is that like you know every person in those groups handles it differently and mm. experiences it differently um you know some people were just not able to even think about having another child for years afterwards i was the opposite you know i just wanted to be pregnant again as soon as i possibly could you know things were you know i was in a dark place and i knew the only thing that was going to bring some easing of the pain was having that to look forward to like you know there was nothing else that could have brought me any kind of any sort of happiness other than knowing that there was going to be a baby at the end of my journey um whereas a lot of people like can't even consider going through that after going through the trauma of losing a baby so yeah everyone handles it differently and that's okay too and kind of knowing that helps as well so would you like to move on to your next pregnancy Yes, so um, Dylan was born in January, uh, on the 19th of January. And then, as I said, I wanted to get pregnant as soon as I could. So mm-hmm. we started trying um, as soon as we could. And I got pregnant pretty quickly. I think it was this our second time, like, trying. Um, I found out I was pregnant. And, you know, I was kind of you know, I was tracking my ovulation and everything. And the month before I got pregnant, I hadn't ovulated. So I was like, oh, you know, I didn't ovulate. So now I can't tell when it's going to be the right time to try. And my husband was like, just, you know, just do an ovulation test and just see. And I remember I done an ovulation test, one ovulation test, and it said I was ovulating. We tried then and I got pregnant then. And I remember like, we were like, okay, we're going to wait until like, it's way past the time. So we know that when we test it'll be sure I don't want any of this is it you know is it positive is it not positive mm. I want to know straight away but of course I, I couldn't wait <laughs> I ended up doing the test and my husband was in work one day to kind of I was like even if it comes back not sure I'll do a test another test in a few days time but it, it lit up pretty pretty quickly um and I was like great okay and I remember the two of us were like you know that was the first day that like you know since Dylan died we felt like our, our base emotion was just sadness like we were sad all the time mm. And then, you know, something might make you feel happy for a minute or two, but you were just sad. That was your base emotion. When I found out I was pregnant, like there was like a day where our base emotion was happiness. And then you go back to kind of Dylan again. But we were excited. Um, and because 
of what had happened with Dylan, the hospital wanted to treat me as a high risk pregnancy. They just wanted to make sure that I was coming in for an early scan and like getting the best possible, I guess, treatment that I could on my next pregnancy. So we went in for an early scan. I thought I was about nine weeks and this was during COVID. So Johnny wasn't able to come in with me for the scan. Um, and I remember the scan was in the evening time. It's about five o'clock or half five. And he was working out in Wicklow. And he was like, oh, you know, I'll just come home from work and I'll meet you in the car park after the scan. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I was like, I'm not going to go in like on my own. You come out. I meet you in the car park. and We both drive home in separate cars. I was like, that's pointless. I'll just meet you at home. Like we don't live far from the hospital. So I remember I went in and even going into the building and feeling like a lot of emotions because we'd been back after Dylan had died to do a review of everything that had happened with the doctors. And that was in a different building than the main hospital, but going into the main hospital, I remember just kind of feeling a lot of emotions and mm. kind of held it together right up until the scan when the sonographer was kind of like, Oh, is this your first pregnancy? And I just broke down. So it was already a pretty emotionally charged um, scan for the first sonographer. But so she started doing the scan and I remember she asked me if I had done IVF and I thought it was a bit of a weird question. Um, but in my head, I was like, oh, I wonder if it's twins. Is that's why she asked me if I'd done IVF kind of, you know, thinking, you know, twins are quite common in IVF. And I had put on, I felt I'd put on a bump really quickly for only being like just nine weeks pregnant. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, you know, it's the COVID stone mm -hmm. and I'd had a baby in a few months previously. Like, you know, this is just what's happening. And she was like, OK, um, let me just double check what I'm seeing here. And she spent a while kind of going through and I was trying to, you know, look at the screen, trying to pick out, is there a heartbeat and things like this? And also, is it definitely a baby there? So eventually she stopped and she was like, OK, this is a baby and a heartbeat. And I was like, oh, OK, wow. And I just remember feeling like, you know, that relief, there's a heartbeat there, it's a baby there, everything's OK. And she moved the wand and she was like, and another baby in a heartbeat. And I was like, oh, my God, twins. I was like, that's so exciting. What are the chances? Oh, my God. And then she moved it again. And I remember being like, what is she doing? And she was like, and another baby in a heartbeat. And I was like, triplets. I was like, oh, my God. And then she moved it again. And I remember at this point kind of feeling like a bit annoyed. And I was like, what is she doing? And she goes, and there's a fourth baby in a heartbeat. And I was like, what? I was like four there's there's four babies and she was like yeah and like my head was like don't move that wand again okay. like stop <laughs> like four is stop she's like there's four there's four babies I was like are like are you sh like I don't know what to say I just remember repeating four over and over and looking at her with a kind of like annoyed angry face on me the poor woman and she said that the doctor who looks after multiples was like on that night and doing a scan like on that floor. She's like, I'm going to go out and get her and have her come in and check. And I was like, get, get, please get somebody else to come in here and just check your work here. Yeah. And so she went to get her. And I remember I was in the room on my own for like a minute. And I was just like, what did she just say? Like, like there can't actually be four babies. Like what on earth? There's no twins anywhere in my family, like okay. the whole way back. No, no twins or anything like that. So anyway, then the doctor who looks after multiples, who's just like the most amazing woman, she came in and the very first thing she did was like commiserate over over Dylan. I remember just at the, that moment, just being kind of like, what? Like, oh yeah, God, thank you. But like, what? And she'd done the scan and she kind of put down the wand and she looked at me, she's like, okay, 
you're having four babies. Congratulations. And I remember thinking congratulations was such a weird thing to say to me at that point. Like, what do you mean congratulations? She was like, this is great. This is brilliant. You know, like, this is happy news. And I was kind of like, okay, is it? <laughs> and, you know, then at that point, she's like, you know, we're going to bring you in for another scan with me soon. And we can have a little bit more of a talk. She's like, two of them are identical. They're in the same sack and two of them are non-identical. And I was like, what like everything that she was saying I just couldn't take it in you know I was just in in absolute shock but at that point she did bring up the like you know we will have to have a talk we won't talk about it now but we will have to talk this is a very high risk pregnancy and there's a lot of things that you need to consider um about whether you need to reduce the number of babies that you're having never mind being like well I can just not have some of them and I was like oh okay now I realize what she's talking about but she's like we won't talk about that now now it's just time to be happy and excited and everything looks good as of now and she's like is your husband in the car park or anything like that and I was like no I told him not to come and she's like okay are you okay driving home you know I remember they were really worried about me driving home after giving me this news but I was fine because I was just in shock and I remember just texting my husband saying everything's okay I obviously didn't want to you know he was waiting to hear how things were going knowing the time that the scan was at and things so I was like everything's okay there's a heartbeat and I, I left it at that and they'd given me the scan printout and the doctor had written on the scan four babies you know an a b c d and marked them all so my husband came I went home and he wasn't home yet from work he was late and I was like of all time for him to decide to be late home from work so he came in and I just had the scan picture out and I just kind of left it at the table and I was just like, yep, there you go. Have a look at that. And he was like looking and he was like, what? Like, is everything OK? And I was like, yeah, everything's fine. Um, do, you, do you see what's on there? And he was looking at it and he's like, oh, it's a twins. And I was like, nope. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's not twins. And he was like, okay, but everything's okay. And I was like, yeah. And he was looking at it. And I was like, what does it say on the picture? And he looked at me and he said, why does it say four babies? I was like, because that's how many babies we're having. And he was like, his face just dropped. Like the realization hit him. That's what I was trying to get across. It's not twins. It's a lot more than twins. And he was just like, we have to tell somebody. Like Instantly, we just needed to unburden ourselves being the only two people who knew this, knew this news. We had to tell somebody. So we drove down and told my parents straight away just because we needed other people to be in this. Yeah, of course. Us, yeah. Know? And they didn't even know I was pregnant at this point. So I was literally arriving being like, hi, I'm pregnant. It's quadruplets. Bye. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the doctor told me not to Google things. But of course, I spent the next day Googling everything I possibly could about quadruplets. And they rang me and they brought me in for a scan in a few days time. They wanted to get me in as soon as possible for another scan. And um, I think the days between that, I was just it was just a roller coaster of emotion. I was just like bawling crying at one point really excited at another time but really not comprehending what was what was going like that there was mm. four and like what that really meant um so yeah I was just all over place a complete wave of emotion and then the next scan we went in and you know the doctor like was we'd done the scan she'd done the heartbeats everything looked fine we had a bit more of an in-depth chat about like what this means you know and she'd had other quadruple pregnancies before and she was kind of giving us um some insight into you know what we can expect for the next couple of months and we had to have a conversation about whether we wanted to reduce the number of of babies and for us it really wasn't a consideration I think after everything we'd been through with Mm -hmm. Dylan and something like both of us we didn't really want to talk about it but then you know I felt guilty I was like are we putting you know all our babies at risk because we can't make this tough decision like you know should we really consider this because like you know are we this is such a high-risk pregnancy should we try and make this easier on some of the babies and but really we couldn't you know for us we were like unless there's a reason unless the doctor was going to see something or tell us something mm. we were just going to go ahead with this and just there was so much to worry about like there's so many things that could go wrong at so many babies and you know especially having an identical set makes it even higher risk you know the 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 risk of like twin to twin transfusion syndrome and for one baby gets a lot more of the nutrients from the cord than from the placenta than the other which is always an issue with um multiple with identicals but when you just have identicals they there's some steps they can take to try and rectify it but there's nothing they would have been able to do if there's two other babies in there at the same time with me um and also, you know, if I did decide, not that this was going to change the decision anyway, but if I had decided to reduce the number of pregnancies, you know, she would have wanted me to go to a specialist in England because abortion services are so new in Ireland. So, yeah, there was a lot of things to consider and there was just so much to worry about. But I couldn't spend the next, you know, seven months just being constantly worried, yeah. you know, that wasn't going to help me or help them. And I'd been, I felt I'd already been through the worst. I was like, no matter what happens in this pregnancy, it can't be worse than what happened with, with, with Dylan, you know, like I having already been through that alone meant that no matter what happened at the end of this, it wasn't going to be as bad as that. So we just had to make the decision to be hopeful and just 
just deal with things if and when they they came up during the pregnancy um, and just kind of, you know, hope for a good outcome. Did you ever feel throughout your pregnancy like this was Dylan's gift to you? Like a lot of people have said that, um, that Dylan sent these babies and things like that. I don't know if I necessarily feel like that. I don't like I don't know if I believe he sent them to us, you know. Um I definitely understand like for me it's just this crazy thing that happened. But yeah, I don't necessarily associate it with that it's it came from Dylan. But I know a lot of people like see it like that and I can see where they came from. But yeah, I don't know if that ever necessarily fully resonated with me. So how did you feel throughout your your second trimester? So you would have started to like get things ready. When did that kind of like four of everything and start to get ready yeah, for four babies? So to be honest, we didn't get ready that much um, because we knew that they were like we knew that the furthest I could get to was 32 weeks. Right. Everything going well. No issues, no problems. The best we could hope for was 32 weeks. And when they were born, they were going to spend a significant amount of time in the ICU um, in the NICU. So I was kind of I didn't want to buy too much or get too much because I knew I was going to have those period of weeks where they were in the NICU mm. and also didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I didn't want to have four of everything in our house and not be bringing home four babies. Um, and I just didn't want to do too much. And I kind of felt like, let's just wait and see what happens and just focus on this and nothing else. And when they're in the NICU, then we can start getting things. I mean, I think I got a few things that I needed to have initially, like, you know, somewhere to put them. Um, so we got like bassinets and things, but, you know, they were going to be so small. I got two bassinets and put two babies each in them and things like that. Um, but like like buggies and cots or any of that sort of stuff, I didn't bother until until after they were born. So talk me through then the lead up to the plan. Yeah. So 32 yeah. weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was considered a high risk pregnancy. And um, so we had the same doctor, the multiples doctor. And she was brilliant. She used to bring me in for a scan every two weeks. Um, and I remember going in like my whole body would be like tense until she found the four heartbeats. And then I'd kind of be able to like relax. Um, at 16 weeks, she asked if we wanted to know the sex. And I was like, absolutely. I want to know the sex of all these babies. I want no more surprises. Um, and you know we were really lucky it turned out that we had two boys and two girls yeah, cool. mm-hmm. and in my very limited knowledge of quads that I'd come across um, that was like rare almost for quads you know the majority I'd come across were like three and one or four the same so we were really excited that it was two and two um, and yeah then getting closer to the due date I had to go in and get uh, steroid injections at like 26 weeks and 29 weeks because we knew they were going to be premature babies and then I would be getting a scan every week. And then in the last few weeks, I was going in every two days to the hospital to get a scan. And I remember I had to be prepared from like 24 weeks on. They were like, be prepared that you could be, you know, we could get you to stay in the hospital from any point. But I was really lucky. I didn't have to spend a single night in the hospital before the babies were born. And then the scans had started to become almost routine, you know, like um, the same thing was kind of happening at each time. She'd do the Dopplers. Um, she'd do the heartbeats she'd do the weights and the sizes and things like that we noticed that on Eve um, she was like the smallest of the babies but only by a, by a small margin there was some absent blood flow on her cord um, and it only showed up intermittently so they weren't too worried about it like they might do five readings and maybe two or three of those readings would show 
like one bit of absent blood flow. Um, but they were keeping an eye on it. Um, and then on one of my regular scans, they noticed that the absent blood flow was there and they'd even seen some uh, reverse blood flow, which is what they get worried about. So they were like, okay, at this point, I was 31 weeks and two days. They're like, okay, so we think we're going to deliver you today. And I remember I'd gone in in like, you know, not an outfit that I was going to be ready. I hadn't even brought my bag in with me because everything had been going so well. And Johnny hadn't come with me that day. He'd come with me for most of my scans. Like even though it was COVID times, because it was such a high risk pregnancy, they'd allowed him and the midwife had kind of gone down to let him come into the hospital with us. And he'd been there for most of my scans. But of course, this day he wasn't. So I remember ringing him and being like, have you gone to work yet? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, well, like everything is fine don't panic but we're gonna have the babies today and he was just like well, what do you mean what's going on what's wrong so yeah then um everything happened really really quickly like it was like half eight in the morning I think when my scan was and when we decided we were gonna deliver that day and by half 11 I was like in the theater um, the room full of people um ready to deliver the babies um by c-section obviously um I remember we counted and there was 36 people in the room before the babies were born because each baby had to have a team essentially they had to have a doctor and a number of nurses for the minute they were born for each baby and then there was the doctors and um you know all for me as well so there was a lot of people in the room so what was and, this, oh God, I, the sense in the room so there must have been so much energy I'm just thinking about that room it must have been was, was everyone really excited yeah, it was like there was like a buzz, <laughs> yeah, you know, cool. because like even for all of them, this is so rare and so unique thing to happen. And I remember the doctor who had been my consultant when I was pregnant on Dylan was in the room. Like um, she was just really excited to, you know, most of them had never seen a quad pregnancy. They just wanted to step in and be there for it. Mm. And there was, yeah, there was just such, um, I had a cousin of mine is a doctor and she was on a rotation in the coom at the time. So she came in and she was with me during it as well. Oh, brilliant. It was really, really special too. Um, and I remember it was like, it was, you know, it was December. So it was like middle of winter, um, but it was a really bright, sunny day. And there was a lot of like windows in the room. I remember just, you know, just being really bright and everybody was just so lifted. It was just such a buzz and excitement in the room. Um. So, yeah, it was great. I remember just, you know, you feel that off the people around you. Um, and it just felt it felt amazing. Um, and yeah, and then it just they, they got going and everything happened so quickly. Like everything had just been a whole blur getting up to that point. And then we were there and kind of ready to go. And, you know, she had we'd named the babies already, you know, baby A, B, C and D. And they were going to be born in that that order as well so like baby a was gonna be the first one to be born because of their position and stuff so Nathan was the first one born and I remember she took him out and she lifted him up and he just let out this like big cry and oh my god like because we'd never heard mm -hmm. that from Dylan just hearing that even though like you know he was tiny he was not he was just four pounds like he was this tiny little baby he looked like a little baby bird just hearing that and like hearing the lungs and the, the, the big noise that he was trying to make. Um, oh God, it was just such a relief. And I remember I hadn't cried up until that point and then I just completely fell apart and started bawling. And like, they were all born a minute apart. A minute later, Cooper was out. A minute later, it was Aaron. And a minute later, it was Eve. And then that was it. They were all, they were all here, you know? And it was weird because they all got like bundled away so quickly to the doctors and stuff like that. And you were just... 
you know that had happened with Dylan as well and I was just trying to keep that out of my mind as yeah, much yeah. as possible like it's a different situation you know they all cried you know they're like you know that first thing first box ticked and um, and they all they, you know they brought them they're straight into incubators but they brought them each of them individually for me to see them quickly and then they brought them to the NICU and then I was in recovery and you know my husband got to go down and see them and I still couldn't go see them and I was just like inching to go in and we hadn't told any of our family that I was having them and um, I didn't want anyone knowing like when I was I didn't want not that they would have had it I just didn't want anyone else knowing that we were going to go through like this delivery with these babies other than just the two of us and like until I knew that they were all here and everything was okay and I didn't want anyone to know that like as it was happening I just needed only the people in the room to kind of know what was going on um, but I was then once they were delivered, I was dying to see them. And then I was dying to get on the phone and tell tell my mom what had happened, you know, and they were like, they were all just so tiny. Um, the the boys were almost four pounds each. So they were both three. They're identical and identical weights. They're both three pounds, 15. <laughs> the girls were both a little bit smaller. So they were two pounds, 13 was Erin and Eve who had had the, the intermittent absent blood flow. She was two pounds, 12. But, you know, other than that, they were, you know, they were great. They were just tiny little, tiny little babas. Um, and then the next couple of weeks were, you know, we we knew they were going to be in the NICU. But, you know, it's have it, like it was, it's just you're kind of constantly on edge and, you know, constantly getting these updates. And especially the first few hours and the first few days, you know, like you know, what oxygen they need and different things like that and how they're doing I guess it's the most kind of critical time but kind of once you get over that after a week things start to get a little bit more uh, routine kind of you know what's kind of going on and then I think it was 10 days after they were born um, and I was at home at this point kind of going in every day and I was expressing breast milk like every three hours and I remember that was my sole focus because the only thing I could do for them, yeah. the only thing I could do for them at the time was get them breast milk. So I was doing that. And, you know, apparently your body knows when you've had multiple placentas and produces more milk. So I was producing enough for all four of them and also stocking up the freezer and things like that. So I was delighted that the one thing I was supposed to be, or was able to do for them that was going well. Um, but we went, uh, when the doctors rang us one day and kind of told us both to come in and Eve had gotten sick. So she'd gotten a little cut on her leg and she got an infection in her blood and she was really, really quite sick. And it just kind of came out of nowhere and we were really not expecting it. And just, you know, even though we knew there was always a possibility of it, everything had been going kind of so well. Um, and she was just so small and so tiny. And then to see her like little body kind of get bloated and things like that, we were we were just so worried. Um, and it took a long time for the infection to to run its course um and eventually they put her on this like long course of antibiotics like six week course of antibiotics um where you know a lot of time babies are only on four week course like six weeks is a lot um but she was you know she was she was really quite sick and swollen and things like that and eventually the other three were doing great and like it was so weird because they were flying it and like getting stronger and bigger all the time and moving from the like you know the critical part of the NICU to the the like you know the, the special care part like they were moving up the stages where she was still in an incubator and you know still needing a lot of support but you know she took her time um and eventually she started like getting better and better and 
she ended up just having a lot longer time in the NICU. So the boys were the boys were great. And I remember it's so funny because when they were talking about needing to reduce the if we had gone the route down the route of reducing the pregnancies, the boys being identical were the highest risk. So they would have suggested, you know, that we reduce the pregnancy by the two of the boys. The boys were born the biggest. They had, you know, they were out of the NICU after like three and a half weeks. They were just gone from strength to strength. It's just mad to think like mm. they were the ones who so early on would have been the ones that they were most worried about. But yeah, on, on Christmas Christmas Day, they're all in on the hospital still at Christmas, but they told us on Christmas Day that we were going to be able to take the boys home in two days time. And I remember we were just couldn't believe it so excited couldn't wait none of our family because it was COVID had been able to visit them at all so everybody was just like delighted we couldn't wait to see them um and once the boys came home like Erin I think missed them in there because after a few days she was ready to go home as well and we thought she was going to be in for another two weeks but like she just went like from strength to strength after the boys had gone but Eve was still in there so you know we had three small premature little babies at home and one still in the NICU so January 2021 um, was when a lot of COVID restrictions came in again and Johnny wasn't allowed to go and see her so it was just me kind of going in every day and it was just you just felt wrong because you felt so wrong leaving your three babies and like leaving the house you just felt so guilty but then when you got in there like leaving her in there in the hospital on her own like you just felt so guilty and there's no way that I could resolve that right that's just how it was how it was going to be and so every day you just had this guilt um but yeah she eventually you know it took a while but she got stronger the infection finally cleared up um she got bigger and eventually started going through the same stages that the boys had and eventually she was big enough to come home as well oh my god and then they had the four of them that must have felt and we had the four of them. amazing to have the four of them. I know this is it. Now we have the four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And did you have lots of friends? Well, I suppose with COVID being so prevalent at the time, did you have much support? So my mom had kind of, you know, my parents had been in our bubble when it came to COVID. Like mm. even when I was pregnant and um, before the quads had arrived, my mom had like they live very close by. So they were coming up quite a lot. So she was our main support. But other than that, to be honest, because of COVID and because we had these tiny babies, we couldn't risk anybody else really coming into the house. So we had family come up and meet them at the windows. And we had like, you know, I had amazing um, cousins and an auntie who would drop up food constantly to us, like just batches and batches of food that we could put in the freezer. So like we didn't make a meal for the two first two months that the babies were home because people were just like providing us with food and a few friends who bought like care packages of fruit and things like that as well so like people were just brilliant and so many people had given us like gift cards and like everybody was just helping out in the ways that they could because we, we couldn't get people at home but it also kind of forced us to get into a good routine and a good yeah. habit with them and um, because you know it was very full-on and my husband wasn't in work because of COVID so that helped massively as well you know so it was me my husband and my mom kind of around the clock a lot of the time um but they come out of the NICU in a great routine right they come out and nick for you like on a, a good feeding schedule so we just stuck to that as much as possible um and yeah just kind of had to had to go through it and do you find life is busier now now that they're mobile <laughs> <laughs> do you know it's weird like the things that were the hardest and the busiest get easier and then all these new things get harder and busy yeah I know yeah <laughs> 
yeah like now like you know at the time we're feeding them every four hours like through the night and like no sleep now they sleep through the night and it's great but like when they're awake they're non-stop like when they were smaller when they were awake they were just like you know you could just put them into yeah. little bouncers <laughs> and just like you know play with them and things were a lot easier but just but now like they're literally all going in different directions like the boys are walking and just like like absolutely pushing anything out of the way that comes into their path so yeah everything gets easier but then there's all new things that get a lot more difficult so what how do you manage throughout your day I find it hard to manage with a three and a half year old and a nearly two-year-old like it blows my mind Lorraine having two kids so how do you manage (laughs) honestly it does how do you manage with four being so young so I guess routine is is the key um and also like I like they're four being the same age does help like okay they all have the exact same needs at the exact same time where if like you you have two different ages at different stages who want to need things at different times it's I like that's very hard like there's four of them which is a lot for me but at least you know they're all eating at the same time sleeping at the same time napping at the same time playing at the same time usually together so yeah routine is key we built up uh, a routine um like we got a sleep trainer in at one point when they were all like not sleeping and she was an absolute godsend she you know within two weeks had them all on amazing sleep schedule they sleep 12 they go down at seven at night time and they sleep till seven in the morning consistently now every night since we've had the sleep trainer and so we get our our evenings back you know we get to sit down and have dinner together and like watch tv and things like that Mm -hmm. and also I'm back at work now I'm back to work working full-time so um we have an amazing childminder so she comes at eight in the morning and you know she's brilliant and doesn't phase her at all that there's four you know she's you know we used to work in creches and she's used to a lot of babies at the same age and so yeah routine is key and sticking to it as much as possible um and you know because they're sleeping so well and they're eating and they're in a routine like they're in good form most of the time as well and so yeah it's you know it's busy and it's full on but we're used to it now and you know having our evenings back and getting sleep is a big help yeah huge help it's only now that mine is starting mm. well Eva's starting to sleep through and it just makes such a massive difference to, to mm. everything that sleep is key if you can get it yeah. yeah what you can cope with in the day massively depends I feel on how much sleep you've gotten and you know when you haven't gotten any sleep and everything's more difficult for you oh, yeah. the babies get more fussy as well right so yeah like sleep is just key thank you so much that was cool I was just I loved hearing like the energy I can only imagine um everyone in the in the theater just so excited to meet the babies and when when they pulled like Nathan out do they go here's baby a yeah yeah well so they asked us just before um my consultant came to me just before she's like can we know the names now do you have the names and I was like yes I, I'm happy to put the, give them the names now so they they said this is baby A but then they were like Nathan and Cooper they actually used their actual names um, oh, because we'd named them beforehand as well so yeah and even when they're in the NICU like when we first got to see them they had like you know little drawings up that they'd like like with little characters on them and their names on them and things like that as well so yeah they were always Nathan Cooper Aaron and Eve and sorry I never asked you the question when did you first get to hold them god good question it was I think the second day after they were born I got to hold Cooper first um on his own um and then I got to hold Nathan I think the day after 
the girls, because they were smaller, it took a bit longer. So I think it was, they were about four days old before I got to hold the girls. Um, and Erin, I think, was the last one that I got to hold. Um, because I remember Johnny had gotten to hold her and I had, no, sorry, Eve, take that back. It was Eve. Johnny had gotten to hold her. So she was the last one that I got to hold. But um, yeah, it was, it was two days after they were born is when I first got to hold, or the, no, the second day after they were born that I got to hold um, Nate Cooper for the first time and then Nathan the day after and then Aaron, then Eve. Oh, amazing. It must have felt so nice to have them on your chest. Yeah, it like they were because they're so small and, you know, just having them against you. When I also got to hold two of them at one time, like after about a week or so, which was just they were the most amazing times and they were just so tiny and you could just be able to feel them like warm and close to you. It was just, yeah, it was just amazing. Um, and then anytime we got to hold them, once they got out of the incubators, then we could kind of go in and pick them up anytime we wanted. And we really felt like we needed to ask permission all the time, you know, like there was a point where we felt like we were visiting the hospital's babies, you know, because, you know, they were in there looking after them and we were kind of showing up and asking, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do the other? Um, so I think once we got them home and like we were fully in charge of them is when it like, you know, we could hold them anytime we wanted then. And just when you were saying that holding the two of them at the same time, how powerful is that to walk into a room and just look at your four babies and think that like, you created those spontaneously those four little people it's just so cool yeah it's sometimes even still now I look at them and I'm like there's four like four it's it I I don't think I'll ever not be like it just feels we're so used to it but then we're also just every now and again we're just like what has happened here like how has this gone on (laughs) um but yeah I don't like every because every stage they get to as well I'm always imagining what they're going to be like when they're like two or when they're like start school when they're five or when they're like oh my god so cute could you imagine the four of them like the first day of school in the little uniforms so cute little uniforms I can't wait like oh and I dress them like I dress the boys the same and the girls the same all the time and I remember when they were babies I didn't that much and I was like I don't know if I'll dress them the same and now I'm just like always in the same thing because they're just so cute and they won't let me do it when they're older I'm sure Exactly. So I'm no, just going to try and get as much of it now. <laughs> yeah, much of it now as I can. Um, but yeah, it is. It's just it's like it's just one of these sort of things you never think it's going to happen to you. Do you know what I mean? And even the majority of people I've come across who have like a lot of time triplets, but definitely with quads, there's been uh, not necessarily IVF, but maybe fertility drugs. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have been maybe taking drugs help them ovulate and it's kind of overstimulated and they've ovulated more eggs than than they were thinking um so for it to happen completely natural like that especially with no twins or anywhere in the family it's just, I don't know I don't know where it came from like sometimes I think it's because because of what happened with Dylan you know and I was so desperate to get pregnant again and I, I, I think my body was searching for the baby that I've lost right mm-hmm. like my body was physically kind of like where is this baby I grew a baby here and it's not there and we need it back like you know we're not okay without it we need the baby you know my brain sent a very strong signal to my body to tell me to ovulate and ovulated loads of eggs and then you know they were fertilized and one of them decided to split into two more another baby again like I don't know if it's got something to do with that because of I got pregnant so quickly after the after what happened and my body being so desperate for a baby it kind of overstimulated itself or what happened who knows but 
whatever happened I'm glad I did because they're yeah. just they're just amazing Lorraine thank you so so much for sharing your story it's an absolute honour to share your story as the 100th birth story for the podcast thank you yeah thank you so much as well um it was cathartic going through it all and chatting so yeah yeah it was good if you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. Just pop over to irelandsbirthstories.ie and click on the share your stories tab and you can just fill out those few details there. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I have also linked uh, Patreon, which um, if you sign up to tier two, it allows you to get access to the, the episodes on a Friday rather than a Monday. And I have also linked some other bits and pieces there to help support those who've suffered loss and who are grieving the loss of a child. Thanks for listening. I'll chat to you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.